thanks for connecting with our online content at Holy Trinity Church in Richmond. We really hope that what we share with you will be a blessing and will help you to continue to grow in your knowledge and love of God. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me, the door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, Yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good foods to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Morning, everyone. Now, many, many years ago, I was a VSO teaching in Nigeria. And during the long school holidays, a friend and I were on a rickety old bus somewhere in the grassy scrubland south of the Sahara when the bus stopped in the middle of nowhere. It certainly wasn't a comfort stop. There were no buildings of any kind and not even some convenient trees or bushes. Then the driver and several passengers got out. 
unrolled their prayer mats and facing in the direction of Mecca, began to pray. They took their prayer seriously. Now, I'm telling you this story because I don't believe in coincidences, but I do believe in God incidences. So first of all, this is the first Sunday in Lent. And Lent is a time of self-reflection, prayer, and fasting. Secondly, last Sunday, John and I went to Convergence. And the main meetings were all about developing a culture of prayer in our churches. Thirdly, the City to City Report for Holy Trinity emphasized the importance of prayer undergirding everything we do. You know, when God speaks to you three times about something, I think it's time to sit up and get, take notice. Amen? So this morning we're going to consider the call to be a praying people. Then how to pray, a look at the Lord's Prayer. And finally, what is the Spirit saying to all of us as a church family here at Holy Trinity and to each of us in our own personal walk with Jesus during this season of Lent? But first let's pray. Heavenly Father, Please would you send your Holy Spirit to open up our hearts and minds so that we may receive the words of your son Jesus who prayed often and taught his disciples to pray. May we be good soil, people who hear your word and bring forth fruit. To your honour and glory we pray. Amen. Now, the early church was a praying church. In between the Ascension and Pentecost, what was the church doing? Acts 1.14. They all joined together constantly in prayer. And, of course, we know what happens next. The Spirit came and the church and the world were transformed. In Acts 4, when Peter and John were released from prison on the condition that they stopped speaking about Jesus, the church prayed. In verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. You know, someone said that the book of Acts is about what happened between the prayer meetings. Many of you are aware that when God sends revivals, they have been preceded by earnest prayer. This was true of the Welsh revival and the revival in the Hebrides. God acts when his people pray. We are seeking God's blessing for a time of revitalization. We want to reach out to our community and seeking God in prayer is where we should start. Some of you will know the story of the cross and the switchblade. It was a book later made into a film about a remarkable work of God amongst the drug addicts and gangs of New York. And it all started when an AOG pastor decided to sell his television set and spend two hours praying instead of watching late night TV. How serious 
are we as about as a church community about undergirding our outreach ministries with prayer now one comment from convergence that really hit me hard was a quote from john tyson you can tell the popularity of the preacher by who turns up on sunday you can tell the popularity of god by who turns up at the prayer meeting ouch now i know that there are many good reasons why some of us are not able to get to the prayer meeting and just because we are not at the meeting doesn't mean we are not praying but maybe lent is a good time for us to think about what we might give up to make more room in our lives for prayer and not just prayer with others but also taking a good look at our own personal times of prayer. Something I read many years ago when I was a young Christian has stuck with me. It was written by Robert Murray McShane. He wrote, What a man, or a woman, is on his knees before God, that he is, and nothing more. In other words, who we are when we pray is who we really are. And I find that a continual challenge. At Convergence, we will all urge to fight for our prayer life, particularly the younger ones. Prayer is the most contested place in our lives. We can find time for nearly everything else. Because of the busyness of modern life and all its distractions, prayer often comes a poor second. Think of Martha and Mary. Someone said that with the rise of social media, we are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. We are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. This is a particular concern for younger people, though not for them alone. So what did we do about it? We prayed for our young people in particular. Now, in our vision statement, we say that we will become an intentionally intergenerational parish church. And part of that is learning how to pray for one another, the young for the old, the old for the young, and all of us for the generations in between. What an opportunity to learn to pray in new ways. And that leads us to the question, how should we pray? And to our Bible reading for today, in particular Luke 11, 1 to 4, the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer should more accurately be called the Disciples' Prayer. In Matthew 6, it's part of the Sermon on the Mount teaching that Jesus gave to his disciples. And in Luke, it is John's reply to the disciples' request, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. It wasn't that the disciples didn't know how to pray. Every day, Jews had to pray set prayers three times a day. The Jews were a praying people. But it was also the common practice for rabbis to teach their followers a prayer that was only for their particular group. And this is what the disciples wanted. The prayer Jesus gave them is very similar to other prayers of that time. 
but it has remained the distinctive prayer for Christians for nearly 2,000 years. It's a short liturgical prayer that can be repeated whenever we meet, but it's also a framework for longer prayers. In Luke's version in particular, it reads like a series of bullet points with details to be filled in by the prayer. You can take each clause and then call to mind the things you want to pray for around that. The daily devotions in our New Zealand prayer book are constructed around seven sections of the Lord's Prayer, one for each day of the week. The Lord's Prayer is the pattern that teaches us how to pray. Both Matthew and Luke have the same structure. The first half of the prayer is focused on God, and only after that do we bring our needs and petitions. Most of us just rush in with our shopping list of prayers, but we need to put God in his rightful place first. So it begins, Father, or as Matthew has it, our Father in heaven. See, prayer is above all based on a relationship. And it's a relationship of love, not fear. Our God is not a distant out there God, but one who is a loving, caring Father to his children. And in this prayer, Jesus is inviting his followers into a deeper family relationship and to address God as he does, Abba, Father. This is a gift. No one knows God in this way, except those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him, Luke 10, 22. And Paul picks up this idea in Romans, Romans 8, 15. The spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. And he is a generous father, one we can rely on to give good gifts to his children. A fish, not a snake. An egg, not a scorpion. And above all, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Hallowed be your name. Now, hallowed is not a word we use much, is it? It's the equivalent of holy, which signifies something different set apart from ordinary things. So keeping the Sabbath holy is to set it apart from ordinary days, to treat it differently. Realizing that God is that supreme, holy other being should inspire a sense of reverence and awe. And that should be seen in the way we live our lives. There's a terrible passage in Ezekiel 6 where God declares that by their conduct and actions, the people of Israel have profaned his holy name among the nations. What an indictment. By contrast, Jesus teaches us to live so that everyone may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Your kingdom come on earth as in heaven. We've seen in our earlier studies in Luke that the proclamation of the kingdom of God was seen by Jesus as the purpose for which he was sent into the world. It was the focus of his message. When we pray this prayer, we are looking forward to the day of Christ's return, when the kingdom will come in all its fullness. But we are also asking 
that God's will, God's way of doing things, will be done here on earth now. Are we praying and actively following Jesus' example in confronting evil and bringing the healing power of the gospel into God's hurting world? Someone said, don't pray this prayer unless you are prepared to be part of the answer. Give us each day our daily bread. It's only when we have put God in his rightful place and when we have obeyed his command to seek first the kingdom of God that we turn to our own concerns. And this petition is a straightforward request for God to meet our daily needs. It's the same word found on a fragment of papyrus, which was a housewife's shopping list for the provisions she would need for her household. And Jesus tells us not to worry about these things. The challenge here is to remember that there is no I, me, or mine in the Lord's Prayer. We are praying for the needs of others too. And I would encourage you to use our prayers for the week, the ones that Zane was talking about, when we pray. We might also want to include our spiritual need to be fed daily on God's word as well. Forgive us our sins. Luke uses the common Greek word for sin, which means missing the mark, failing to be what we ought to be, not meeting God's standards. Well, Matthew chooses a word meaning debts, following the Jewish concept that when we sin, we fail in our obligation to obey God and walk in his ways. Did you hear that both these definitions speak of sin in terms of our relationship with God? When we sin, we walk away from God, we break the relationship, and our moral failings, our sins, flow from that. But here is the good news of the gospel built right into the fabric of the Lord's Prayer. We can pray forgive us our sins and be sure of that forgiveness because of the atoning death of Christ on the cross. Even as we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us, we now know the importance of forgiveness in maintaining good mental health. But Jesus is concerned about our spiritual health. As we say these words, we are acknowledging that we have no right to expect God's forgiveness for our own sins if we are unwilling to forgive others. Matthew, in his gospel, is quite clear on this. Forgiving others is not easy, especially when there seems to be little evidence of repentance or change in behavior. But Jesus told Peter to forgive 70 times 7. In other words, Show your brother an infinite amount of mercy and forgiveness. After all, isn't that the way we hope that our merciful God will treat us? And do not bring us to the time of trial, but deliver us from evil or the evil one. Remember when Jesus, the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray, they were on their way to Jerusalem. And Jesus knows what awaits them. 
He knows that some will run away, while others, notably the women, will stick with him. That Judas will fail utterly and betray him. That Peter too will disown him, but will ultimately be restored. Jesus knows and understands us. He knows that even the strong can be weak in the face of testing and trials. That's why he encourages us to ask for help. That's why in John 17, Jesus prays for his disciples. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. We know from our studies in James and 1 Peter that times of testing will come. James even tells us to consider it pure joy when we face trials of many kinds. For through them, our faith is tested and proved. And Peter says much the same thing. What these trials may look like for us in the future, we cannot know. Certainly, there is an increasing antipathy to Christian things in the West. And right now, our brothers and sisters elsewhere are facing persecution and death on a daily basis. As a people of prayer, how do we respond to these things? Well, we recognize the power of evil and our own inability to deal with such forces. <clears throat> we put on the armor of God, Ephesians 6, which finishes with the exhortation to pray. We also remember the reality of Jesus' victory over evil on the cross. Each of us We'll have our own fears and areas of weakness. But we can share Paul's assurance that the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. That's 2 Timothy 4.18. <clears throat> but Tom Wright encourages us to look beyond our own prayers for deliverance. He writes, it is our responsibility as we pray this prayer to hold God's precious and precarious world before our gaze. To sum up its inarticulate cries for help, for rescue, for deliverance from the horror of war, from human folly, from social violence, from arrogance and pride and the awful things they make people do. Save us from ourselves and deliver us from the evil one. And some of those prayers, those words, are more true now than they were when they were written over ten years ago. I don't know about you, but I fear for the future of my children, my grandchildren, and any future great-grandchildren. And that alone will push me into prayer. If you have a modern translation, the Lord's Prayer ends there. The doxology, which we normally say is not in the oldest manuscripts, but we know that within a century or so, the longer ending was well established. And in any case, it would have been unusual for a Jewish prayer not to end without a reference to God. We are reminded of the one to whom we have been praying. We recognize his kingship, his power, and the glory which is his alone. 
I hope that this morning you've been challenged, that you've heard the call to be part of a praying church, but also that you've seen that merely to recite the Lord's Prayer is not enough. It's also a prayer that draws us to look beyond ourselves. Sorry. It's a prayer that calls us to worship and obedience as we rejoice in the protection and provision of our loving Father. It's also a prayer that draws us to look beyond ourselves to the needs of others. It's a prayer that we can use to shape our lives in godly ways as Jesus' disciples. Finally, what is the Spirit saying to all of us as the church family here at Holy Trinity and to each of us in our own personal walk with Jesus? This Lent, may we too ask, Lord, teach us to pray. Amen. If you'd like to connect with more of our online content at Holy Trinity in Richmond, you can do that by going to our YouTube page simply by searching for Richmond Anglican Aotearoa. You can also touch base with us online at our website or on Facebook by searching with those same words. Friends, we're so thankful that you've joined us online and that you're enjoying our content. We really do hope and pray that God is blessing you through it. If you've got any feedback, you can touch base with me, zane at richmondparish.nz. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you.